Austin Chapel. How are you guys doing? Good. Father's Day. Happy Father's Day to any fathers in the room. All right. Thank you. Uh, yeah. So um, we will be continuing in our holy holy series. I said it was a four week series, and then I was like, surprise, fifth week. <laughs> uh, we're gonna have a fifth week in our four week series called holistic discipleship. And so we've been going over this series now for, well, this will be the fifth week, but we've been exploring these four topics of holiness or these four directions in which you can look for a holy life. And the first one was devotional holiness. So we talked about how this is us recognizing who God is, worshiping him for who he is. And so in all areas of our life, we're like living for his glory and seeking out his example and then we talked about personal holiness, which is really looking inward at ourselves for repentance and areas that we need to confess and areas that we personally need to grow. And then we talked about relational holiness. This isn't making sure other people are holy. This is you being holy in your actions or in your relationships with others, right? How you act towards others, how you treat others, doing so in a holy manner. And then last week we talked about missional holiness, which missional holiness is, a, is really the one that is probably left out the most in churches. And that's this idea that a part of living a holy life is missional. It's, it's, it's living on mission. To live a holy life, you must also live on mission. Jesus makes this abundantly clear throughout um, his teachings. That very, From the very first thing he said to his disciples, he said, follow me and I will what? make you good people. Follow me and I will make you fishers of men, right? And so this was the calling of disciples ever since the beginning. And this week, we're going to be looking really practically at discipleship. Um, what What does that look like? And more so, how can we disciple people and even personally grow holistically, right? So we're not just growing in one area, but leaving other areas of our lives completely unchecked, which happens a lot. Unfortunately, I mean, I know that I have been guilty of that in my life, and I would assume that maybe you've been growing in some areas, but then there might be a part of your life where you just haven't even thought about growing. You, you've been just content with where you're at. Um, this week, we're going to be looking at how to holistically grow spiritually, and more than that, how to holistically disciple others. And so I've created kind of a tool um, that's actually in our app. So what I want you guys to do today is make sure you have the app on your phone. If you don't, please download it right now. Um, If you have that app, uh, you're going to go ahead this week and click on the new icon that is for holistic discipleship um, in the app. So everybody should have their phone out right now. Everybody should be getting their phone out (laughs) and getting to the app, okay? We're going to... You have about 15 minutes, because I'm going to talk about some other stuff, then we're going to get to the app. So 15 minutes, everybody needs their phone out with the app on it, okay? Cool. Uh, Before we do that, we're going to look at a couple um, portions of Scripture um, and really look at the call that Christ has uh, for us all out of these two Scriptures. We're going to be in John for both. So if you have your Bibles or you've got your phone out and you've also got got the Bible in the app too. Right, so you don't even have to leave the Austin Chapel app. All right, <laughs> you can find the Bible in the app if you if you have that. We're going to be in John chapter eight. This is a very famous text, um, one that um, I, I would say is is taught on very often, 
And for good reason. Um, we're going to look at this this morning, and, and there's one key point that I want us to take from this story. And the reason we're going to look at these two scriptures um, is Jesus makes it clear that he wants us to grow. He wants us to grow. And you're like, yeah, I know, like, we talk about growth all the time at church, but I'm like, okay, fine. We talk about it a lot, but are we growing? Are we changing? Are we being transformed? Are we looking more and more like Christ every day and less like the old me? Every day that needs to be happening in the spiritual life. And Jesus makes it abundantly clear that growth is a part of following him. Um, And so we're going to look at these two scriptures, and I believe we're going to find some pretty cool stuff. All right, John chapter 8. Verse 1, but Jesus went to the Mount of Olives early in the morning. He came again to the temple. All the people came to him and he sat down and taught them. The scribes and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in adultery and placing her in the midst. They said to him, teacher, this woman has been caught in the act of adultery. Now in the law, Moses commanded us to stone such a woman. So what do you say? This they said to test him, that they might have some charge to bring against him. Jesus bent down and wrote with his finger on the ground. And as they continued to ask him, he stood up and said to them, Let him who is without sin among you be the first to throw a stone at her. And once more he bent down and rode on the ground. But when they heard it, they went away one by one, beginning with the older ones, probably a little more humble. And Jesus was left alone with the woman standing before him. Jesus stood up and said to her woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? She said, no one Lord. And Jesus said, neither do I condemn you. And from now on sin, no more. Another translation would say, go and sin no more. Right now, this text has been taught on many times, mostly from the um, perspective of, of grace and the perspective of not judging. And that's all good. This is absolutely a part of this text. Um, We have this woman who is caught in adultery. She's done something pretty bad, right? This is, this is taken seriously in our culture. It was taken seriously in their culture. Almost all cultures take adultery very seriously. It's, it's, it's not something that, you know, you should just dabble in. It's a serious sin. It's something that um, has a lot of consequences. It breaks up families. It's bad for children. I mean, this leads to a lot of problems, and it's a, ser- it's a serious sin. So what she has done is, is wrong and should be viewed that way. And Jesus is not saying to her, oh, it's okay what you've done. All right? It's not what he says. He says, go and sin no more, though. Right, But he also tells the others, like, hey, you're sinners too. Like, people are always speculating, what did he write in the ground? Was he writing their name and a sin next to it? Like, because he's, he's Jesus, he could do that. Maybe that's what he wrote. I, we don't know what he wrote in the ground, but whatever he did write in the dirt convicted them enough to where they were unable to feel good about throwing a stone at her. So there's a lot we can learn about that. But today I really want us to focus on this. Jesus, and this is my first point, Jesus accepts us where we are at, but he doesn't expect us to stay there, right? We have this woman who's who's caught in a serious sin, a sin that in their culture she could have been stoned for, and Jesus accepts her. He says he doesn't condemn her, but he doesn't say, hey, go ahead and live your life out the way you have been. 
Go ahead and just do whatever you want because there's grace. He says, go and sin no more. Go and sin no more. He accepts us where we're at, but he does not expect us to stay there. Let's look at another story out of John. Uh, This would be John chapter 5, verse 1. After this, there was a feast of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now there is in Jerusalem by the sheep gate a pool in Aramaic called Bethesda, which has five Ruth uh, colonnades, and in these lay multitude of invalids, uh, blind, um, lame, Invalid, sorry. Blind, lame, and paralyzed. I hear the giggling. Uh, One man was there. One man was there who had been invalid for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he had already been there a long time, he said to him, Do you want to be healed? The sick man answered him, Sir, I have no one to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up. And while I'm going... Another steps down before me. Jesus said to him, get up, take your bed and walk. And at once the man was healed and he took up his bed and walked. Now that day was the Sabbath. So the Jews said to the man who had been healed, it is the Sabbath and it is not lawful for you to take up your bed. But he answered them, the man who healed me, that man said to me, take up your bed and walk. They asked him, who is this man who said to you, take up your bed and walk. Now the man who had been healed did not know who it was, for Jesus had withdrawn, and there was a crowd in the place. Afterward, Jesus found him in the temple and said to him, See, you are well. Sin no more, that nothing worse may happen to you. The man went went away and told the Jews that it was Jesus who had healed him. All right, so we have... Actually, a lot of interesting things, and I'll cover some historical stuff first. Uh, We have this pool that they believe that an angel would stir it up every so often, and whoever was the first one to get into the pool would be healed from whatever it was. If it was a sickness, a disability, they would be healed. Now, there's no reason to believe that this was actually true. Um, Scripturally, it seems like this was probably a myth. Like there wasn't an angel that was actually stirring up the waters and people were being healed. The water had some uh, good mineral properties to it, so there may have been some sort of natural healing from just being in the water for some. Uh, there also might have been a psychosomatic healing, like just the legend for some people. Maybe it allowed them to be healed. Just they believed they were healed for a time or something. If there was something less severe. Um, so it's possible that there was, there was reason for why they believed this, but there's no reason in Scripture to believe an angel was actually doing this. Um, we see nothing else like that in Scripture, so it would be a little strange if it, if it were. And the Bible seems to just speak of it as a legend and not so much as truth. Um, but nonetheless, these people believe it, and you have all of these sick people, all of these disabled people, all these people with infirmities, all hanging out here, hoping to be the one in the pool. And so Jesus goes to this place, and this man, he, he, he's unable to get into the pool. But interestingly enough, we find out that his sin was caused, his disability was caused by his sin, right? So this is not... Um, I would not teach it this way. Some would, that if you're sick, it's because there's unconfessed sin in your life. And so God has made you sick. 
Um, I don't believe that's scriptural. Um, I believe that sickness just happens, and there's a lot of things in this world that happen to good and bad. The rain falls on the heads of both the wicked and the righteous, the Bible says, right? So I don't believe that this is teaching that in any sense. This is something he was doing that was sinful that caused physical harm to his body. So you can think alcoholism, you could think drug addiction, you could think something like that. He was doing something that caused his sickness, that caused his disability. Um, This is not a punishment from God. This is just a natural uh, circumstance of his sin. Now, he's there, um, and he has no one to put him in the pool. So he's he's hanging out at this pool, but he has no one to put him in the pool. Jesus says to the man, and it's an interesting question, do you want to be healed? Why did Jesus ask that question? This guy's waiting at the pool, and obviously hoping to be healed, but Jesus asks, do you want to be healed? And I believe it's because Jesus there is really addressing the sin issue in his life. Do you really want to be healed, right? Or do you still want to participate in that sin that's causing this problem? Yeah, so Jesus is seeing that there is something deeper going on with this man than just a physical healing. There needs to be a spiritual healing. There needs to be Sin that is transformed, that is, he needs to be made new, not just in a physical manner, but in a spiritual way. And so he says to him, do you want to be healed? Which is just an interesting question. The man says, yes, right? And Jesus says to him, take your bed and walk. Get up, take your bed and walk. You can go. He didn't say go to the pool. He said, just get up, take your bed and walk. That's an interesting thing. Jesus just commands him to do something as though he were healed. So it would take faith to believe that he was healed. Right? He would, it, it, I'm going to, okay, I'll try to stand up. Like, all right. Uh, and he's healed. The man is healed. Now, Jesus says this to the man. What's really interesting. We'll come back to this. Sorry. What's really interesting is that the man is healed and he goes away. But Jesus also says the same thing to him. Go and sin no more. Go and sin no more so that nothing worse happens to you. Go and sin no more. So same thing. He accepts the man where he is at, but he doesn't expect him to stay there. He expects there to be transformation. Okay? Now, my second point is this. Jesus gives you the power to obey his commands. Right? When he said to him, get up and walk. Did he expect the man to do that by his own power? Whose power enabled him to do that? It was Christ's power. So when Jesus commands you to do something, he will give you the power to do it. And that's really, really good news. (laughs) Because we are unable in our flesh to accomplish anything good, the Bible says. The none seek good, not one. Right? We are unable unable to follow all the commands of scripture when jesus says love your enemy as yourself that's a command but good news he will give you the power to do it i think that's really encouraging and so my two points are maybe you're at a spot right now that maybe you need to grow right jesus expects you to grow he accepts you where you're at but he wants you to grow and second he's going to give you the power to do it 
It'll be him who transforms your life. It'll be him who works in your life in a way that actually brings about transformation, that actually brings about change. You have to do it in his power, his strength. That's why it's so important that we go to Jesus regularly, that we don't muster up good works. We don't you know we don't go i'm gonna be a good person today you know we go to jesus and we say jesus i need you to transform me i need your strength i need your power will you please heal me of this sin problem that i have so i can move forward and he will because he has the power to do so and he promises that if you come with a humble heart confess your sin that you will be healed so jesus expects us to grow and he will give us the power to do it. And that's what discipleship is all about. It's one that we're all disciples of Christ. It doesn't matter if you've, you've been a Christian for 50 years, if you've been in ministry for a long, long time. You're still a disciple of Christ and still learning to be more and more like him every day. And it also doesn't matter if, if you're just brand new to the whole Christian thing and like, Man, I've got struggles. I've got real problems. I don't know if I'm going to be able to get past this. Like, it's all good for you to do all these good things, but I just don't think I can get there. You're right. You can't, but he can. All right. He can transform you. He can heal you. He can do it. And so discipleship, no matter what range you're at, we're all still being disciples of Christ. We're all still being made more and more in his likeness. And we have to realize that. But second is that we, we talked about this last week, living on mission is we're helping others, right? We're going to bring others as far in the journey of faith as we are in it, right? So it's like, hey, you, I used to struggle that, with that too. Can I, can I show you some things I learned? Can I show you the scriptures that meant so much to me during that time? The scriptures that changed my way of thinking, the, the scriptures that brought me to repentance, the scriptures that I memorize whenever that thing comes back or anytime there's a temptation, the scriptures I have, no, no, I'm going to think on these things. And, and you're helping them grow. You're bringing them along. You're, you're making disciples. And so today I want to, us to go over some stuff that's in the app that I created to help us disciple others holistically. Now, there is a problem oftentimes in the church where um, discipleship, like many things in Christianity, it gets very compartmentalized, right? And so we start to think discipleship is just teaching them how to read the Bible or just teaching them how to pray. And then sometimes we're not getting to the real issues that they're having. We're not getting to those real problems that they're having, the areas that they really need to see growth because it's so compartmentalized. Right. And so we've created this tool that will help us look at any given subject, any given part of life in a holistic manner. And I'm pretty excited about it. So um, uh, the holistic discipleship guide, we've got it up here on the slides, but mostly I'm going to write on a whiteboard. Right. So like a lot of like uh, our leadership meetings, I bring a whiteboard and uh, I'm always like drawing stuff on a whiteboard. And uh I think Aaron was like, oh, great. We've got the whiteboard at church, too. <laughs> uh, I use the whiteboard a lot because I like it, and it helps me think through things, and I think it helps uh, visual stuff, especially with these kind of things. And so this whole idea of holistic discipleship is based on our Holy Holy series that we just went through, that there are four areas of holiness, devotional holiness, personal holiness, relational holiness, and missional holiness. And you can take any part of your life, and you can look at it 
through these four lenses and really get a holistic view of what that subject should look like. And what it's going to do is it's going to bring about areas of strengths and weaknesses as you go through this. You're going to see areas in prayer that you're weak and you're strong. So what we do is in the app, you're going to find um, four questions and 21 topics. And the goal is that we would go through these 21 topics three at a time and take three topics, put them into this tool and look at each topic holistically. Let me show you how this works. So as in our Holy Holiness holy holy series we have devotional holiness we have personal holiness we have relational holiness and we have missional holiness and so there's going to be some questions that we have that we'll ask and the idea is to take any part of life and i'll start with one prayer okay so you could be discipling somebody or this could also be done with a husband and a wife two friends a small group um, there could be other avenues other than just mentor and mentee. But any avenue, you could, you could ask someone, how is your prayer life? And they could respond, really good. And you go, oh, okay, that's not an area we really need to work on. Great. Okay, so let's move on to the next subject. How are you doing in the Word? I'm doing really good. How are you doing with your finances? Doing really good. Okay? But if you take it through this tool, uh, fortunately and unfortunately, you're going to find that you're not, maybe not doing as well as you think. Maybe the person you're mentoring, discipling is not doing as well as you think. Let me show you. Prayer. When they say, I'm doing really well, like I, I pray a lot, they could be in their mind thinking, I am really good at asking God for stuff I want, which is a form of prayer. That's petition, making your request be known to God. Certainly a good thing. You should absolutely do that. I am in no way saying that's a bad thing. But that is only one type of prayer. Uh, there are probably eight main types of prayer. There are as many as you could say in Scripture, 15 different types of prayer. Um, so let's look at this now through the lens of, of the Holy Holy series. Devotional holiness. How are you doing um, as, as in regards to your worship and adoration of God? Right. So as you start asking these questions and, and, and looking through it through devo- devotional holiness, you're going to realize I'm not very good at being thankful. Right. Like I, I, I'm not very good at praising his name, thinking on who he is. You see what I'm saying? I'm really good at talking about myself in prayer, but thanking him for what he has done in my life. I'm, I'm weak in that area. OK, so we found something here. Uh, we found, you could say, a hole in, in, in their holiness. You could see a spot where they're not living out, um, they're not holy in all of their conduct. There's an area of weakness, which is a good thing because we all need to grow. We need to realize that. So let's go to personal holiness. And this would be things in regard to yourself, right? So petitioning and asking him for things would certainly be good. But another one, are you confessing your sins to God? The Bible says that you should confess every sin to God. Not just at the moment of salvation, but continually confess because it does a work of holiness. And something that Christians do a lot is they, is they think, well, he knows, so I don't need to confess it. No, you need to confess it because there's a work of healing and restoration that happens when you confess your sins to God. Hey, God, I, I'm sorry I, I did this. I don't know why. Speak it out to him. All of a sudden you're going, oh, man, I'm not very good at confession to God. Relational holiness. Uh, who are you praying for? Are you, are you intercess, intercessing for others? 
Are you continually praying for others? Maybe you are. Are you praying with others? Are you good at bringing to people together and, and praying over them, praying for them? So there may be areas where you're like, yeah, I just don't, I don't pray with others. Um, right? And so you're, you're finding some areas that need some growth. And then mission. Are you praying for the gospel to advance at your workplace? Are you praying for the gospel to advance in, in your neighborhood? Are you praying for the gospel to advance in the city, in our church, in, in the world? You see, so, I, man, I, I'm not very good at praying for um, the gospel to advance in my workplace. So what we've done is we've taken this lens, this tool, and we've looked at an aspect of life that maybe you would have said I'm doing good in, but we just found four weaknesses. We just found four areas that you could work on. And so using this tool, you can put any given part of life View it through these four lenses. We have four questions that you can ask about any topic. Each question is geared to one of the four. You ask those four questions and you can view that area of life holistically. Um, Just so we can see this better, uh, somebody give me a topic of life. (laughs) Food is actually one of them. Um, So we'll we'll do food. Thank you, Aaron. Uh, food is one of the 21. All right. Uh, we can go through this pretty similarly, right? Some of them are going to probably be a little, uh, work a little better than other topics for sure. So prayer is one of the easier ones because you're going to see that one immediately. But food, let's look at this. How am I using food? Now, is food just something I consume? Or is Food's something that I utilize for worship, for personal growth, for relationships, and for mission. Right? Now, actually, in Scripture, the Bible talks a ton about food. And actually, you see Jesus always at these feasts. You see um, that the Israelites in the Old Testament, they took their feasts incredibly seriously. They also took fasting really seriously, so that plays into food as well. Um, so let's talk about food. Let's talk about devotional holiness in regards to food. Um, are we recognizing that we need to be thankful for him, that um, we're thankful for what we have, and, and not just saying the same prayer before you eat every time, but really being thankful for what you have, being thankful for your food? Um, I'm blanking on other ways you could uh, be devotional holding right now on food. Fasting would be another one. Are you get, taking time away from food to fast and, and focus in on him? Um, during fasting, you know what you're going to think about a lot? Food. Um, so you could say I have a weakness in, in, in fasting. Okay, so personal holiness. Um, gluttony is an unspoken sin a lot of times. It's not something that's even addressed. Uh, so there could be some repentance from overeating. Or one that's probably even more prevalent in America is just waste. Um, Americans throw enough food away every single year to feed the rest of the world. Um, so there's hungry children when we're throwing away leftover lasagna. Um, so that's something to pray about and repent about. Uh, relational holiness. Are you using food to build up relationships? Are you feeding others? Are you taking care of those who don't have food? I mean, there's a lot of areas where all of a sudden you're looking at food and you're going, man, like, I, I could 
be um, smarter about how I use my groceries and instead of throwing things away, giving them or donating them, there could be things like that. Or um, the Bible talks a lot about how we build relationships over food. Um, and the Bible even talks about how like wolves in the church or, or truly unrepentant people in the church that you don't even eat with them because it shows association um, with someone that is maybe dangerous to the church. So there's seriousness about food. We'll just say um, uh, providing for others. Okay, and lastly, missional. Um, yeah. Sure. It seems to be a real connection between food and spiritual. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So it seems like there's a, a connection there. In a lot of ways. He's the bread of life, the water of life. Um, there's a lot of spiritual um, things about food. And Jesus was constantly taking everyday practical things and showing how they related um, to the spiritual. And so one is, again, food. So how are we using food for mission? Are we using it for mission? Are you strategic um, one that I you know that I, I've known um, to work and I, I've known other people to do as well is just continually eating at the same place so you build relationships with the waiters and waitresses you know what I'm saying and all of a sudden it's a mission opportunity another thing would be uh, using food to build a bridge between people I mean uh, you start have, having some food with somebody and they open up they, they you connect in a real way and it presents opportunities to share the gospel so mission would be, uh, you know, uh, you could just put evangelism in general. But so again, this this tool works. You take food, for example, and you may not even think that there was ways into which I live a holy life in, in regards to food. But we just found areas that you certainly can and areas that you might be weak in once again. And so you could find areas to grow. Are you guys seeing how the tool works? Um, so the whole idea here um, with this tool is that we would use it, maybe go through this eight-week course with somebody or a group, and there's also follow-up questions um, for what kind of additional resources may they need after identifying some weaknesses, uh, what scriptures would, would speak to this area, um, there's follow-up questions to, so that after the meeting, during the week, you can be helping each other out to grow in those areas that you had identified as weaknesses. We only did two. You'd be doing three a week. Some won't apply to everybody, like schools in there, parenting's in there, marriages in there. So, so there's some that may not apply to everyone. So just do, the, do two instead of three that week or something like that um, if, if they don't apply to you. But um, if you went through this eight-week thing... Um, you could start it over with a group again because you're going to still need to keep growing, right? Or just make it a regular pattern in your relationships to really help people think of their life holistically and to think of any given subject in their life, any given topic in their life holistically. And so my, my um, challenge to you guys is, is go to the app, read the Holistic Discipleship Guide, look through the weeks, and find somebody to take um, through it or or find a group or you could do it with a spouse find someone to go through this with so that you're really looking at every area of your life in a holistic way um so really let's go back to just my my two main points which is that jesus accepts you where you're at right so maybe 
this tool, you're like, man, this is so cool. Is it really going to help me point out people's sin? <laughs> but hopefully you would also be looking at this and saying, like, where do I need to grow? Or maybe you just looked at this and thought, man, this looks like it's just going to make me feel guilty all the time, right? <laughs> make me feel guilty all the time. What I want you to know is that Jesus accepts you where you're at, but he doesn't want you to stay there. And good news is he's going to give you the power to change. He's going to give you the power to obey his commandments. So if we go to him, we're going to see transformation in our lives. And I don't know about you, but I don't want to look more like the world, and I don't want to look more like the old Stephen. I really and truly, honestly want to look more like Jesus. And I don't want to wait till he returns and restores me completely at the day of glorification. I want to see it happen now. How about you? I'm not content with going, I'll just stay the way I am until you return. I want to see his power in my life right now. I want to grow right now, and I want to see our church grow right now. You know why? Because we become more effective at advancing the gospel when we are following Jesus, looking more like Jesus. In all of these areas, when people see us truly in love with God, they're going to be like, man, maybe there is something to it. When they really see our transformation, they're going to say, man, there really is something to it. Like, wow, he is not the same person anymore. When they see our relationships that we, we love unconditionally and that we're humble and, and that we're loving when no one else is, that we're not gossiping or talking bad about our coworkers or, or these things, they're going to say, man, maybe there really is something different about Jesus. And, and lastly, we're going to be living on mission. We have purpose for our lives here and today, here and now, that maybe they don't have. And they're going to go, man, maybe there really is something different about Christianity. And let me tell you, all of the areas of holiness... We will get to do for eternity except for mission. Aaron was talking about this at community group. The only time that we have to do mission is now. When we're in heaven, we won't get to do any missionary trips. We won't get to evangelize to our coworkers. We won't get to pray for the lost. We'll get to enjoy food. We're going to get to uh, pray and worship and have great community, but we will not have relationships with the lost anymore. We will not have mission anymore. That can only be here and now and today. It's only in the present that we have mission. And it is something we should view as right now. There's urgency to this. And so all of this holy, holy thing should ultimately gear towards others coming to know Jesus Christ because they're seeing transformation. They're seeing who God really is and what he can really do. Amen? Let's pray.